Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Car Ride Conversations. This is the segment of my podcast, The Backstage, uh, that brings the podcast to the guests. I do that during election time. It gives me the opportunity to meet uh, and to talk with different candidates from different parties and it brings you great value and information. Uh, today I'm in the riding of St. Rose in the region of Laval. We're talking with the incumbent MA and candidate for the CAC, the Coalition Avenir Quebec, uh, Christopher Skeet. Enjoy the podcast. All right, Christopher Skeet, uh, incumbent MA and candidate for the CAC in St. Rose. How's it going? It's going well, man. It's going, it's going well. well. Yeah, we're on day, what is it, nine now? Who knows? Are you keeping track? Yeah, of you course I'm keeping track, man. <laughs> this is this is what I'm all about. This is what the campaign's all about. We're on day nine. I used to lose my senses after like day five. Yeah. And then come back to my senses like the week before the, uh, <laughs> the D-Day. No, uh, we're on day nine and the Premier just made a big announcement this morning about how we're going to transition our economy towards a greener economy. So today's actually a big day for us. Good, good. Yeah. Glad to see you. We had uh, done this before. Uh, it was obviously through a computer screen, so the fact that we can now see each other face to face. Oh, thank goodness. It's better, no? Come on, not to mention, look, the best riding in Quebec. We get to drive around. I get to show you around, brag a little bit. It's so a, it's uh, a beautiful little, uh, it's a beautiful little uh, spot, and I have never come up here in Laval. That's their village. Yeah, it's like, um, it's like you know. It, if there's this traditional village feel yeah. but a little bit more evolved because you know like you're in Laval so you have your main road it's kind of like your downtown and your little churches and yeah. it's cute it's nice people forget that Laval used to be 14 cities okay so you have Le Vieux Saint-Rose which used to be like the downtown of Saint-Rose and then you have like the Vieux uh, Saint-Vincent-Paul and that's like the old so every little 14 every 14 place had like their own rue principale yeah, right yeah, so yeah. you're you're, uh, you're, you get that village feel in a lot of sectors, and I'm going to take you through some of my favorite parts nice. of, the, of the writing. Okay, let's get through the tough question. There's only one tough question. We'll get that out of the way, and then we'll just have fun, <laughs> all right? Because okay. I, I need to talk to you about Bill 96. Yeah. You were on the podcast a little over a year ago, and I remember, you know, this was the beginning. The consultations were starting uh, in, in your committee, uh, and I had to talk to you. I wanted to know pretty much if you got any sleep because <laughs> I don't know if you were living off the stress. It, you know, I felt a little, you know, you know, the ground was a little shaky. People were kind of bringing it up a lot. I thought, man, this poor man can't get any sleep. He got the biggest file, just for everyone listening or watching. You were given uh, the responsibility as a parliamentary secretary to the premier himself, uh, responsible specifically for relations with the English-speaking Quebecers. So this file, this Bill 96, uh, was really down your alley, right? Uh, and I asked you, do you get any sleep? I mean, what's going on? And you reassured me, you reassured the listeners that, look, we got the English community behind us. We have spoken to people. We've spoken to groups. Um, everything's going to be fine. And you were very reassuring in your statement. A little over a year later, we have uh, leaders of prominent English groups like the Quebec Community Groups Network, uh, the English Montreal School Board. You have master Jedi lawyer extraordinaire Julius Gray that will be contesting the bill. You have two completely new political parties that were created specifically uh, to grow momentum against your government on this issue. Do you think, maybe, uh, do you concede that, you know, even in the slightest, that perhaps Bill 96 created a little bit of division or more frustration than, in, than you had initially 
thought it would. So there's, there's the only thing I would say to that question is that there's what Bill 96 is and there's what Bill 96 is perceived to be. Um, unfortunately, uh, the two often get mixed up. For instance, people often talk to me about, you know, the English community is not going to have access to justice, which is completely uh, impossible because the Constitution guarantees uh, minority rights access to justice. Now you're going to say, no, Mr. Ski, you guys have used the notwithstanding clause and that removes all our rights. False. The notwithstanding clause only applies to certain sections of the Charter, not every section. And one of the sections that protects access to justice, section 133, guarantees access. So people perceive it as a big threat. Uh, and of course, it's not. Another example, people are like, oh, there's going to be search and seizures in our homes and the cops are going to come. The OQLF is going to become this, like this paramilitary invading force into our homes. And, and the reality, again, is that the OQLF's investigators are administrative in, in, in their mandate. They cannot go beyond the administrative process, which means if they do look into uh, a laptop to make sure that you're running a French version of Windows or a French version of Microsoft Word, that they don't have the, uh, the mandate to use what they see in any other capacity. Of course, that means understanding what the legal framework is. Um, so there's what it is, George, and then there's what people perceive it to be. I think what we saw in the last year is uh, a lot of institutional distrust. I think the English community uh, is, is very um, skittish about all things language in Quebec. And I think what we're seeing is a, an emotional reaction to that. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, um, it's my job to try and explain it and my job to always be present to make sure that we can clarify issues of things. But you're right. Uh, I've heard what you've heard and people are, uh, are concerned. And, uh, you know, uh, my job is to keep reaching out and building those bridges. Because there's, little, there's specific elements, right, in this building. We're not going to go through them. Now. I mean, the point is another point is talk to you as a candidate and your writing in general. But, you know, we're not going to get to the, the judicial challenges that your colleague Simon, <laughs> Simon Jeanne Barret is having with Chief Justice of the Superior Court. You know, the notwithstanding clause, all these. There's a lot of elements. I'm just going to talk, like, one little specific thing just so I can get your opinion on whether or not it's a little exaggerated. It's the, it's the six-month deadline that you're putting to new immigrants to learning French. I know that your lines are prepared. We heard the Premier over the weekend say that, look, we're giving a much bigger buffer than any other country in the world yeah. where you go and automatically you, 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 you're, you're, you have to live with the fact that this is the, uh, the native tongue in the country. But the reality is that, you know, Quebec and Canada in general, it's not like other countries, right? I mean, you know, immigration here, uh, these countries... And I'll take a right over here. These country, this country and this province essentially was built on the backs of these immigrants. So there's always been this leniency, there's always been this flexibility to allow these new immigrants to settle in and to integrate uh, appropriately. So we can't really, I, I, my opinion is that we can't really compare Canada to the rest of the, to the, rest of the world. Um, That's surprising, uh, George. Come on. Like... like so, so we have yeah. to be. We, we have to be not only. But on that specific issue, look. Let me paint the picture. For yeah. You, okay? okay. My parents came here in the late '60s. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's been almost 60 years now that they've been here. My mom learned French by virtue of her job. She's a daycare educator. She, she, by far, she's not perfect, but she can communicate. She understands. She, she can get along. My dad probably knows five, six words or sentences. Uh, bonjour, monsieur. Bonjour, madame. Comment ça va? Merci beaucoup. Uh, Tabarnak Mudzgrek, because speaking of, uh, you know, injustices, that's what he heard his entire life over here. He never cared. He never complained because the reality is that 
when all these new immigrants came here, their priority was, I need to work, I need to uh, build a family, provide for my family, make sure they're fine, and ultimately make sure that they have the most, the biggest opportunities, much more than they ever could have dreamt of either in their country or elsewhere in the world. I agree. So, so, and, and French, I, I can bet my bottom dollar that if they can go back, if there's one thing that they could change, is to learn the French language. They didn't, because in their mind, it was really low on the priority list. There were other things that were much more urgent for them to do. Um, with that logic, it's always going to be the last thing and the last priority. And then how do we reconcile that with our desire point, to protect French in North America? No, I know. I'm throwing that in the universe. And I'm 100% in support for your, for your listeners, though. All I'm saying is that... Um, no, but George, seriously, how do we reconcile what you just said yeah. with the reality that in Quebec, French will always be fragile and we always need to do something? Yeah, so it'll always be on Maslow's I, hierarchy I, of needs I, I know, but below my, food but and the, shelter. But the point I'm trying to make specifically with the new immigrants, when you look yeah. at the priorities, even today, if you ask new immigrants today what the priority is, chances are that the answer is going to be pretty much the same as it was almost 60 years ago. And at some point, we just need to acknowledge when it comes to new immigrants and immigration in general, that immigration has been one giant colossal success story in Quebec. And I think that it's been a success story not because of the French language, but because of their contribution to Quebec society. The French language has always been a consequence of the success story, not necessarily the reason for the success story. So I, 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 I hope to God that French becomes everyone's primary language. But when it comes to new immigrants, I just feel like we're a little bit close-minded. Do you not feel that by telling these new immigrants that you have six months to learn French, it's almost equivalent as though you're telling them you're not really welcome here? Or am I exaggerating? So, so there's a lot to peel off there because... There's a lot to peel off there. I think, as I said, if you always make French on the hierarchy of needs secondary to, then of course the result, the conclusion, and we're seeing it in the data, the conclusion is loss of French. If you turn right here, we go through a beautiful part of the right. Cool. Um, so I think at some point we have to make it a priority. Second of all, I disagree that it's a handicap. I think. In order for you to be successful in Quebec, I don't see how you can be successful in Quebec if you don't learn French. Right now, one of the biggest issues facing uh, your parents' country in Greece is there's a huge influx of immigrants coming into Greece, and a lot of them don't speak Greek. Mm -hmm. So one of the issues that Greece is going through right now is how do we integrate these immigrants into our community? One of the best vectors of integration is language appropriation. So if you want people to be successful in Greece, well then, of course, they have to learn Greek. So it's always going to be part of your success story, the mastery of the language. So on your question, you know, you, you say it's a line that we, we, we mastered and we're talking about it and the Premier said it on Radio Can the other day, but it's a very important, it's a very important indicator. In no other country in the world, when you immigrate, like if I were to move to Greece, George, yeah. The Greek government's gonna be not gonna be like, well, you know, Chris, you're from Canada, you know, we understand it's hard for you. Here's some documents in French, or here's some documents in English. No, it's gonna be this is the land, the law of the land. This is the language of the land. Please figure it out. Now, what we're saying in Quebec is we're saying, when you immigrate to Quebec, what do you? What are the first steps you're gonna be doing? You're gonna be looking for an apartment. You're gonna be applying for your driver's license. You're gonna be applying for your Medicare card. You're gonna be applying for your social insurance card. All these things that are required for you to be successfully, you know, successfully arrive into Quebec, that takes about six months. 
after we've taken care of your essentials, we're saying at that point, we're going to start being exemplary because it's important for the Quebec government to be exemplary in matters of language. So, in fact, and I think the Premier is right when he said it this way, we are creating a new right, a right for recent immigrants to be served in their language when they first arrive. But at some point, George, you're going to have to learn French to be successful in Quebec. So, no, I, I, I you know, some people say eight months, some people say three months, some people say one year, some people say two years. Moi, je suis parlable. It could be, we can have a discussion about more months, sure. Uh, we decided six months, and I don't think it's a, I think it's a bad, I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Look, again, uh, I think if you look back uh, at the success story that immigration has been, um, and you can look at all these new immigrants, and a lot of them, I, I, like I said, I think they should learn French, and a lot of them would have probably wanted to learn French. They didn't. They turn here. But um, that doesn't mean that it hindered the success of Quebec or their own success over here, right? I mean, there's Well, a the data, so they, there's success for the individual, and I, I agree with you that immigration has been a, a tremendous success story. I'm the son of an immigrant, yeah. so of course, I, I agree with that. Um, but when you look at the data, though, only f about 50% of immigrants are transitioning to French. So what that tells us, George, mathematically, is that if we don't do anything in about 50 years, uh, we're going to see a decline of French, and we're already seeing it. And it's necessary to, 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 to counter that. Uh, well, so then, so then how do we do it, George? Like, it, well, like, how do I do it? But you can do it, but not telling them, look, you have six months and that's it. Well, Say, no, this, this it's is not the six months and then you, we, we, we don't talk to you anymore, George. I hope not. It's six months <laughs> yeah. and then the expectation is that you make efforts to learn French. Right. And we're also putting tools you know, available for those people to learn French. We're creating Francisation Quebec, which is going to be free French classes for everybody, including the English community. Very good. The English community gets a new right as well. They get the right to learn and, uh, and live in French as well, which means all the English people that have trouble finding jobs because their French isn't good enough, we're going to help them learn it. Good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about you, your writing. This was your, this was your rookie year. Um, uh, a lot of people came in as new MNAs. Probably the last thing on your mind was to, to hit that wall that we that, that was the pandemic that took up uh, pretty much more than half of your mandate. Tell me a little bit about this first year for you. Yeah, the, 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 this is not the mandate I had in mind. Um, for me, uh, when I was dreaming of uh, uh, you know of a CAC government, um, I, I saw us doing. You know, if you look at the first year, right, the first year and a half, we were pretty hyperactive. We were a very active government, making substantial changes. And my dream as a CAC. Uh, as a CAC uh, supporter was to say, what would four years of that have looked like? And of course, you know, the selfish part of me looks at that and says, you know, we were kind of robbed of a full real mandate. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other side of me, the more, um, the more pragmatic and the more cerebral side of me says, you know what, uh, we asked for the job and we got it. And yeah, part of, part of our job was dealing with this pandemic. Part of our mandate was uh, the confidence that people gave us to, you know, confront the unexpected. And I, I, I live well with that. I think Quebecers, when they look at it and they say, it's a good thing we chose Monsieur Legault for the pandemic, uh, as opposed to maybe the other people who were there before. Right. Um, what, are your, what are your impressions or, you know, like the going into the National Assembly, aside from this aspect of it, the fact is, you know, you're not new in politics. You, you've been uh, uh, participating and you've had a couple campaigns that were, uh, that were uh, unfortunately, didn't go your way. But finally, in 2018, you got in. Uh, aside from that, the pandemic, which kind of ruined everyone's kind of vision of how a first <laughs> mandate could be. Yeah. Uh, what other impressions did you have that you're finally there, you know? Well, you know, first of all, growing up, uh, I always knew I loved politics from the age of 18, 19, 20. 
Uh, I even studied political science at Concordia. So for me, it was always something I knew I loved. Um, I think far in my mind, I, I dreamt of being elected, but also there in my mind was the, the doubting that I could ever be elected. I always right, thought right, that right. my name, Christopher Skeet, you know, who's going to vote for Christopher Skeet in Quebec? And I also thought, who's going to vote for a brown guy in Quebec? Uh, so, you know, I had those doubts that whether or not my dream was, you know, was possible. Uh, but in the end, um, you know, I, I, I tried and uh, I ended up in a good writing and, you know, it is possible. And that, that is at, at, on the one side, uh, you know, the realizing a dream. And on the other side, it's also, um, it's also a little bit uh, rewarding to say that, yeah, you know, uh, I believed in this place and this place also can believe in me. Right. It's interesting that you mentioned the whole thing about the racial thing and how, you know, you know, you instinctively you're putting up all these walls. You're like, ah, it'll never work. My name is like four syllables. You know, yeah. they won't even be able to pronounce it or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and you realize how, it, it, you know, it's kind of like you were dreaming because that's not the reality in Quebec. And, you know, with uh, certain maybe sporadic events here and there, it's really not the case. Sorry, mm -hmm. my phone keeps ringing. Um, but uh, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the climate that we're seeing this time around. You've done elections, many elections uh, before getting elected. I've certainly been involved uh, since the early 2000s. We always expected this antagonism, this mm -hmm. kind of competitiveness in politics. We always expected our posters to go missing or to be vandalized or to be cut up or whatever, to be decorated. It, it was part of the deal, right? I mean, you know what you're, you're getting into. But it feels that this year, things have gotten a little out of hand and you know it's it's in the discourse everyone is talking about it uh, you know the health of our democracy how have we arrived I mean we're, we're having candidates getting death threats uh, volunteers getting stabbed uh, other MNA's offices getting broken into and I mean it, it, I never thought we'd ever get there well I just want to say uh, I think it's important for politicians to be leaders in this matter and um, I just want to say uh, to my uh, colleague Marois, um, I'm with you, I support you 100% and if they want to get to you, they're going to have to go through me and possibly also Greg, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I'll be there and I'll always support you and I'll always support all my colleagues because I think it's important that we uh, lead by example in that regard. That being said, um, I, I, I look at this issue as a political scientist, you know, I look at it as an academic because I think what we're seeing in all Western democracies is this malaise. An increasingly large number of people feel out of touch with politicians. An increasingly large number of people feel out of touch with their governments and with their opportunities. I think it's the consequence of, uh, of uh, a lot of issues. I think a lot of reasons why people feel um, excluded. Um, but. I think politicians are going to have to come up with policies that will help those people. I think we need to stop ignoring the elephant in the room and we need to start recognizing that people aren't doing well. Right. I think we have to start listening to what they're trying to tell us. They're trying to tell us that the opportunities that were promised are not being delivered. They're trying to tell us that uh, the economic system doesn't always work well for them. Uh, they're trying to tell us that um, they're working harder than ever and they're ending up with less. And I think um, they don't always know how to say it. Uh, they don't always know how to express it. But 
that feeling I think is very real and it's my problem, it's our problem, yeah. politicians, we have to fix that. Yeah. And that means not condescending, it means not judging. I think people who react poorly, uh, we can go right here. Yeah. I think people who react poorly uh, or don't know how to react by, for instance, being aggressive on social media by defacing uh, posters of candidates and whatnot, those are a symptom. So I don't judge the symptom, I judge the climate and I say we need, we need to give these people alternatives to that. Right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your track record, four years, uh, some accomplishments or some that you're particularly proud of. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's a question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you talking locally or nationally? Because I think we can really do whatever you want, whatever you feel most proud of. Um, for me, I think uh, one of the biggest issues we've had in Laval was this historic underfinancing of of uh, per capita of, of of investments in all spheres, be it education, healthcare, culture. Uh, these are all things that have been always underinvested in Laval and. Laval has always voted, you know, en bloc. It's always, like, for 15 years, I mean, you know, this, this island was pretty much red. So it wasn't for lack of influence in the caucus, uh, yet underfinancing always existed. With one election, if you'd like, we could maybe turn left yeah. here and we'll end up on Dagenais. Cool. And with one election, one M&A uh, in the CAQ, and one M&A in government on the CAQ, we uh, have begun to close that gap. And, I mean... It's very, I could throw numbers at you, but really what that means is more money for people in Laval. It means better infrastructures for our schools. It means better investments in our hospital. It means more money for our culture. And, and so it, all that adds up to better resources for the third largest city of Quebec. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. So that locally makes me very proud. Uh, for, for other people in Laval, you know, I think we forget, but that first year we did a heck of a lot. Uh, $3 billion dollars we gave back to Quebecers, right? So we were the only ones talking about, you know, making people richer before in 2018. We, in Laval, reduced the school tax by 55%. That means on average savings of about uh, $500 to $800, dollars, you know, depending on the value of your home, for, just for citizens of Laval. When you go to visit your grandma at the hospital, the first two hours are free. And then it's capped at $10. And we've all renewed our li driver's license. You must have seen it. It's 24 bucks to renew your driver's license. That was us. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot, of, um, a lot of money returned. And I think that's something that people underestimate, especially now with rising inflation, that we were the party of the economy. We were the party of giving money back to you. Tell me a little bit about St. Rose. Uh, tell me a little bit about the riding. St. Rose, I, you know, every M&A will say they have the best riding. I will also say I have the best <laughs> riding, but I'll tell you why. Yeah. I can explain okay. why. Um, In St. Rose, we have Le Vieux Saint Rose, which we started off in, where my office is. And Le Vieux Saint Rose is like this beautiful little village, an insular village where you still have people who have the last names of the streets. They're, you know, they have been there for 200 years. Right. They still live there. Wow. So there's that history and that tradition. We even have an association called l'Association des Résidents des Amis du Vieux Saint Rose. They actually have a historian who can tell you the history of each and every house. That, that's there. That's fantastic. And we've supported them by creating plaques so that we can remember what happened. We just drove through La Ferme Sainte-Thérèse. La Ferme Sainte-Thérèse is like this little peninsula uh, north, and it's the old the cottages of Montreal. And there um, you'll find a community uh, group uh, that basically is an association of the residents, and they have parties like you can't believe. And not only that, but the old president 
threw a party for the 24th of June uh, at Saint Jean Baptiste, and he basically left his door unlocked and left a door on the, uh, a note on the door saying, "Just come, come on in." Come on in. Yeah. So I showed up there at eight o'clock, and the whole neighborhood was in his house. There was wine and cheese being served, and wow. he there was kids running around his house, and I. I think that speaks to me of community. Right. And another part of town that we have is the Champfleury. L'association Champfleury does a race every year for, for, uh, for, to keep the health of the, the individuals. And they have an association with a day camp. And they, 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 they create um, community animations. And they have a haunted house. And so the whole community sort of rallies there. So you have an amazing... A uh, small town feel for something that used to be a ville d'artoir, uh, you know, a, a suburb. Yeah, yeah. Yet at the same time, when I want to talk about economy, George, all I got to do is go in my industrial area. And there I have M1 Composites. M1 Composites is this new uh, SME basically conquering the market on uh, replacing what Avios used to do. So they refurb Air Canada planes, Airbus planes, uh, Boeing planes, military planes. Right here in my riding, I have Erudeftek that does the landing struts that landed on the moon. They're in my riding. I have also Pharma's, uh, Bosch and Lam is in my riding. So when I want to talk about the economy and I can want to put my MBA to use, well, all I got to go do is sit down with these you know, crazy companies that are doing crazy things like Le Sar, you know, a leader in, in, in logistics that we're, I'm going to go visit with Monsieur Fitzgibbon in a couple of weeks. So I have it all. I have a community that holds itself tight uh, together, that is tight knit. And I have a, a dynamic industry of, of, of vibrant economic development. So I, I get to wear a lot of hats and right. it's a lot of fun. Uh, you mentioned before being the first um, candidate from you know, an opposing party to break through this fortress that has forever been Laval, right? Um, well, the first in recent history, the it, PQ yeah, used yeah, to be here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, for a long time, it was just it was just red. It was just uh, red. You know. Um, yep. Tell me a little bit. We're looking at the numbers. The campaign obviously is still very early on. Uh, anything can change until the end. Uh, it looks very promising. What are you know? What's your confidence level? I mean, what, what results are we expecting for the region of Laval? Uh, we're expecting to make gains. Uh, you know, we're, and when I say expecting, I, I, I should clarify, we're hoping to make gains. We're working towards making gains. Um, I think people are ready to have more M&As from the CAQ in Laval. Uh, and our mission every day is to make that happen. So uh, you're right, polling is polling. It says a lot of things. I don't really believe in polling because I've been a victim of polling before. Yeah. So for me, you know, I don't expect anything. I hope to make gains. I hope not to be alone anymore. And uh, we're working hard to making sure that I'm not. Fantastic. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. I know that uh, you're, you're a busy guy. And obviously, I know what campaigning is like. So I don't want to take up too much of your schedule. Um, talk to me a little bit about your priorities uh, in an eventual next mandate. Yeah. For me, it's all about locally. Uh, you know, the rise in crime as a former peace officer, as a former customs officer. Um, I think we could be doing more there. I think we should be uh, prohibiting it at the border. Yes, but I also think we need to be weary uh, again as to, you know, the causes behind that. So we've invested a lot in, in, in prevention, but I want to see that through. I also uh, locally, I, there's a park, uh, le, le Parc de la Rivière des Mélilles. I want us to protect more of that land. I want to help the city of Laval buy more land so that they can protect more land. Uh, and keep it green and keep what what's left of the greenery in Laval green. And uh, also, I think we, we can't get around the reforms in healthcare. I think we need to do more in the reforms of healthcare. 
And finally, uh, we're going to be there. I'm going to be there to help people with their wallet. I think people in Laval need a break, and we're going to give them that break. Super. Christopher, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. It was good to finally meet you in person. Uh, good luck for the rest of the campaign, and uh, much success, man, going forward. Thanks for the drive. Thanks for the ride, and uh, thanks for uh, visiting St. Rose, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It.